Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. As we return to our study of this New Testament book, Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be beginning in verse 19 this morning. Uh, imagine you're in your kitchen and you want to open a can of soup. And you're trying to figure out how to open it, how to get into it, and you get a pair of pliers, you're trying to pull the top, crowbar, uh, you get a screwdriver, you're kind of hammer, getting holes through the top and trying to pull it back. And you're wrestling with this can to get it open. And Finally, you know, through some of the ripped metal, you've got this can open. You can pour the soup in. The can is mangled. The soup is mangled. And your spouse comes in and says, what are you doing? And some of you have actually heard that phrase. <laughs> we have a can opener. We not only have a can opener, we have one of those ones you just touch a button and it opens it. So there's no sharp edges. We have the best can opener. Money can buy. What were you doing? Uh, we approach life like that at times. We are fighting and hammering and working at the things that are difficult and the people that are difficult and the, the pressures we feel and we're responding and fighting and working at times forgetting what we actually have to address life and the challenges that are in it. God has equipped us. And that's the point of this passage this morning. It is reminding us what we have in Christ and how that then affects the way that we live. And uh, the, the outline of the passage is going to be very clear. Uh, the writer is going to tell us these are the two things that we have because of Christ and then there are three things so let us respond in these ways. So Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord, you see us know our need. Graciously 
shine the light of your truth on the parts of our life that this addresses that we may see clearly, that we may live faithfully. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. What we have is what Christ has unchangeably made true for us. And we're going to look at that first part very quickly uh, because verses uh, 19 to 21 are just a very brief condensed synopsis of what we've been looking at over numbers of chapters of Hebrews. So we've been going over this theme week by week. What we have first is access. Verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy place. We have access to the person of God. God is a living being and person. And Christ gives us access. We come right to the presence and person of God directly to him for our need. And this, we're told, verse 19, is by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, through his flesh. Jesus was the eternal son of God who entered human nature. God became flesh, lived a perfect life which no one had ever done in this earth. And Jesus, God in flesh, then shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. So the guilt of everyone who comes to Christ calling for him to save us and trusting our life, all the guilt and sin is forever taken from us. And so our access is to God. There is nothing keeping us from him. There is no longer any judgment from God. We have complete access to him that is permanent. It's not that Jesus unlocked a door that we at times can open and go in. Jesus removed the door. We just go to God. There's no door to open. There's no knob to turn. We at all times live in the gracious presence of God and we come to him any moment, fully received, never turned away, he never turns himself away, never ignored, always received. This is what we have because of Jesus Christ. We have access and we have him. We have a champion. Verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God. A champion is someone who always comes through. It is someone who leads a cause or breaks down barriers that had existed for people in need. That's what Jesus is to us as high priest. Jesus champions us to God. He represents us. He went before us in the holy places and said, these are mine. These who my blood has taken their sin. These who trusted me, each one belongs here. And we follow Jesus. It says, into the holy places where God is, is where we 
belong. It is our home. Because Jesus, who presented us to the Father, verse 21 says he's over the house. He is the Son of God. He is the King of heaven. He is the King of all creation. The position of Jesus, Son of God, is unquestionable. There is no one in the universe who can question the right of Jesus to rule. His position over heaven, over the universe. No one can question that. And he is our champion, so our position cannot be questioned. We may question it ourselves. The enemy may try to make us question, but no one in heaven questions that we have the right and privilege to be before the Father. This reality changes life. This is meant to be part of how we think about how we live. Since we have, since we have let us, how do we approach the way we live? How do we think about life? How do we process what we're going through? That's what the author wants us to see. And, and this is really central to why the book of Hebrews was given to us. The first part of Hebrews, the first four chapters, uh, had a, a, a very direct theme. It was, Jesus is greater than. And the author was giving all of these comparisons to how Jesus, the exalted one, is greater than everyone and everything. He is the one who created all things, he is greater than the angels. He is greater than Moses, greater than the old covenant. Jesus is greater than. And the author finishes this description of the exalted Christ with these words in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. You'll see they're very familiar to what we just read. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the writer of Hebrews was letting us know after he cast Christ's wondrous before us, this then is how you respond. You recognize he's gone before you. You can come with confidence. And now after the next series of chapters where he is showing us specifically how Jesus interceded as the great high priest who was our sacrifice, he comes back to the very same truths. Now again in chapter 10, he repeats the same thing since we have. What do we have? We have a great high priest. What has he done? He has passed from this world into the heavens. What does that mean for us? We let us then hold fast the confession. 
Let us come near with confidence. The writer, after each section, is giving us the same truths because these truths are fundamental and central to what it means for us to belong to God. It is central to what it means to have Christ in our life. It is central to what does it mean to be a Christian in this world. It is to live in the reality, the greatest reality that is true of us. We have Christ, and he is all that we need, and we can live boldly in coming near and expecting help and holding to what we believe and knowing it is true and he will be faithful. This is repeated because this is important. This is important to God. And it's important for us. And that's why he's telling us the same truths again because he wants us to know it, to believe it. He, he wants this to shape the way that we live. So let's look at each of these let us then responses that the writer of Hebrew gives us. First, he says, let us come near to God. Let us come near to God, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Yes, it's true. God is holy, flawless, perfect. But because of Christ, we are fully righteous. And that's how we come before a God who we would think, how could we come near to God? He is, he is holy. He is perfect in all things. We come because Jesus has made us perfect in righteousness. That's why we can come near. God is vast and almighty. How can we come before such a being? Because now the, the God who is the almighty, Jesus said, when you, when you pray to him, you start by saying, Father. Jesus is the one who initiated our praying to God as Father. We, we've done it so often we may not think about it. No one prayed to God as Father until Jesus said, this is how you are to pray. Because he is your father and you are his beloved child we we are wounded and weary and when we come we find our father all love all grace, all mercy. It is all we will ever receive from God if we come in Christ. Even, we'll see later in this very book, even when God, because he's wise and good, at times may discipline us, he says it's out of love and care 
for your good. The only, the only way God will ever interact with you who are in Christ is in love, in grace, and mercy. You will never receive anything from God but that because we come in the name of Jesus. Coming near to God, it's not for just certain times. It's not just for emergencies. Coming near to God, being near to God, that's meant to be life for us. How do we live? We live in the presence near to God. That's home. Going to God's presence isn't something you have to get to. It's meant to be This is where I live. And so when we begin the day, interacting with God is just, we're home with him. It's good morning, God, because he is here and will be. When we go through the day without praying, without speaking to him, it's not because we're far from each other. It's we're just not acknowledging the reality that he is right here. Now the enemy, he barrages us relentlessly with reasons to feel distant. Uh, He brings all sorts of thoughts of unworthiness. And there's a lot of truth in what he can point to about us, of our failures, of our weakness, of our ignorance. There's a lot he can point to And when we just listen to him and we forget what the passage tells us, that we we come in full assurance of faith. We, We come believing not what the enemy says, not even what we say about ourselves. We come believing, but what has God said? What does my heavenly Father say? about me and how he thinks of me. And am I allowed here? Am I welcome here? Our unworthiness, the fact that that may be true, never makes us unwelcome when we come through Christ. We are people of faith, verse 22 says. People of faith, it means people who believe in, we entrust ourselves to what God says. We believe it. Belief that doesn't just say, okay, that's true. Faith is acting on what we believe. It's living that out. So we believe what God says to us and about us. And so when we have all these accusations that would make us feel awkward just coming near to God and embracing him, uh, we believe what the Bible says. One example is Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and following. This is what God has to say. Who shall bring 
any charge against God's elect. God's the one who justifies. God is the judge. Who's going to bring a charge against one whom God has said, this one's innocent? Who, verse 34, who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was then raised and who is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for us. Verse 35, who, who in this universe, who, who out there will separate you from the love of God? Verse 38, for I am sure, no, not, not life, not death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Or another word to say that, it's impossible for anything to separate you from the love, mercy, kindness of God when you come in Christ Jesus. But this wonderful truth, however we see in the text, we must come with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This doesn't mean that we have to come sinlessly, that we can never fail or sin. And if we ever do, God is just, I'm tired today. You know, a couple of days, I've just had it with you. That, that there may be other people in your house that respond that way. God never does. Uh, coming with a true heart doesn't mean we come sinlessly, never failing. It means we come with a heart that truly believes we need Jesus. Jesus has died for me. And if I ever fall, I repent and come. We come repentantly. We come faithfully. We come knowing, yes, we are weak and at times foolish and sometimes we fail miserably. But our heart really does belong to him. And we repent and we're received and we're always welcome. We walk freely into our own home. We don't have to ask permission. We just freely walk in. However, we would never freely walk in with an adulteress on our arm. We, with all the freedom we have to enter our house and greet our family, we, we recognize the mockery that would be, the, the horrible evil that would be. So we come to God. But we don't just come pretending 
Sin's not there. Ignoring it. Thinking God really doesn't care. We come, but we come with a true heart. And if we come with a true heart, the Bible tells us all who come to Christ in truth also come in the spirit. We come in the spirit and the truth. So when we come in truth, we are people in whom the spirit dwells, whom the spirit is changing, whom the spirit will perfect. We don't come in the truth of who God is, what he's done, we believe in him, and then we've got to make it work. We come empowered by the one who is committed lifelong. He will perfect us so we can get up and we can be faithful. Because even your sin does not overwhelm the Spirit of God, ever. Believer, child of God, Beloved of God, one who is in Christ, you belong in his presence. And so you confront every voice and impulse that would say otherwise. You confront every voice and impulse that would have you pull back. You confront that voice with the person of Jesus. He says, I can come. I'm following him. And I believe in what Christ has done. And I believe his word. So I come through him. Let us draw near to God. Secondly, verse 23, let us hold to the hope that God declares is ours. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Our confession is centered entirely on Christ. Our confession is not that we're good people and go to church and we were baptized and we really try hard. Our confession is not that we're better than anyone. Our confession is Jesus, the Son of God, who died for me and is risen and brings me to the Father. That's our confession. Jesus, who he is, what he's done. That's the entirety. That's the fullness of the hope we have. Jesus, born, died, raised, reigning. That's all of it. Our hope is what we believe and confess about Jesus. Now the world doesn't understand faith. Uh, they, they think our faith is just blind believing. Like wishing on something that we think is true. And so to them when we speak of faith, uh, they think it's just blindly accepting things that no one can prove are true. Uh, just a couple weeks ago you probably watched that movie once again, Miracle on 34th Street, where at one point the mother says to her daughter, faith 
is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. No, it's not. We will see later in this book, faith is in what we don't see, but faith is in what Christ has done. Our faith is in a person who's alive, Jesus. Our faith is in the historical actions of someone who is alive. The Son of God was born in Bethlehem. The Son of God was nailed to a cross. The wrath of the Father came upon the Son of God, and the wage of all of our sin was met, and the Son of God walked out of the tomb and reigns over all that is. Those are historical actions. Our faith is in the concrete person and actions of Christ. You weren't there, but because the Spirit of God is real, he gives you faith, and you have full assurance knowing what he has done. Our hope, then, we hold to a hope that is in the one person who more than anyone has proven that he is faithful. No one has proven faithfulness more than Jesus. That's what our hope is in. That's our confession. That's why we cling to it and hold to it. The phrase in verse 23, we hold without wavering. Literally, the phrase without wavering means straight, don't bend. Now, if you remember back to geometry class, there's one thing I can remember about geometry. The definition of a line is, no one else remembers. The shortest distance between two points. There we go. Someone's saying, that's the definition of a line. That's a straight line, the shortest distance between two points. Let that be you and Jesus, the unwavering, the straight, unbending line. What is the shortest distance between you and Jesus? That's what the author is saying. Make sure whatever's the shortest distance, that's the one you're taking directly to Jesus. Your answers to the world are the shortest distance. We point to Jesus. The encouragement your own soul needs, unwavering, it's right to Jesus. The direct line to Jesus in all things, at all times, the name of Jesus is appropriate. Even the kids in Sunday school now, when they hear a question, they don't know what it is. They think somehow it has to be Jesus. And They've got a real point there. <laughs> Are you anxious, afraid, angry, embittered, holding to sin that you know isn't good for you, and isn't pleasing to God? You're holding to a different confession and a different voice. Let go of that voice and hold to the voice of Jesus. Will, will, he, will he really be there? Think of 
Think of what Jesus was like. That's why we have the Gospels given to us over and over and over and over. So we get this heavy dose of Jesus. How did Jesus respond to the leper? The sinner, the outcast. That's, that's the Jesus you're going to. The Jesus willing to die for you. The Jesus who said, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me. The Jesus who said, it's the sick who need the physician. There's one more, let us. Let us help one another along the way. Verse 24 and 5. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This isn't just a nice thought, a suggestion. This is a responsibility given to every believer. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And that means you actually have to think about it. You, you have to have a plan. You, you can't do this unless you're thinking about it, planning on it. Consider how can you stir up the others around you who are like you and struggle. How can your life stir them up to love God more and to serve him? And you may think, I don't know. How do I do that? Well, things we can start with, it means you have to know people in your church. And you have to be known. So if you are here right as we're starting and leave as soon as it's over and only get a couple of hellos, you're not known and you don't know. The only way we can do this is to know and be known. That's, that's a place to start. And in a small group, which we have many, you can get to be known and know one group of people very well. Be here. Stay. Be involved. And make sure that then our relationships with each other are no longer expectation-based relationships. Well, I'll be in a relationship that this is what I expect from you. Let our relationships be gospel-based relationships. This is what the gospel calls me to be to you and to respond to you when you have rough edges. And in mercy, I hope you respond to me and rough edges. That's, that's what we're called to, gospel-based relationships. And this essentially happens, we see in the context of the local church, verse 25, not. How do you do that? not neglecting to gather together, as some do. The Bible emphasizes this to us, not neglecting, because if we do neglect, it brings loss. That's why God says it. Loss to us and loss to the others. Our church is weakened. We are weakened. We know from the Bible that the Spirit gifts us, all believers, but he gifts us in the context of the church. He gifts us in the context of the body. 
where all the parts of the body are gifted so that the whole body is healthy. So for us to exercise what the Spirit is doing in us means we have to be a part of the body that our gifting is given with the context of the whole body. And so we just need to be a part of the body of Christ. Life in this world is burdensome and it is bruising and we do need one another. So what are we stirring up each other up for? Stir one another up. I can tell you what it's not. We're not stirring up one another for any political reasons. You can be committed to your political reasons, but that's not what we come to stir each other up for. We're not stirring each other up with our complaints or what we don't like. We're not stirring each other up over what the world rages about. We stir each other up to love Jesus more. Last Monday night, there was a football game that was not just paused. Everyone just walked away from it. Because in that moment, everyone realized there was something bigger, even than the hype of playoff football and all their sports betting. And all week long, there's been lots of talk about what's really important. And ESPN has never had the word prayer mentioned more on its network than in the last week. All kinds of people are talking about prayer. People talking about what's really important. But even in this, which we would say is, was good and appropriate, but what they don't know is what's important. And in our prayers, what they don't know is all of that is about Jesus. They don't know that. We do. So let's live that way. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for your cherished, beloved children. Each one is here. There is love for you. They want to please you. They want to grow. Give a, a fresh sight of the magnitude of your grace, the depth of your love, the wonder of the privilege to live for you. Help us today to walk as those who our confession is Jesus. And those who have never seen that or bowed to that, may this day be the one where they do. In Jesus' name, amen.